welcome to episode 50 of Pennies in the Well. Yes, that's right. We have finally reached the big 5-0. And did I start to think it was never going to happen? Well, honestly, I never particularly thought about it because thinking about it would mean I'd have to make a decision about whether or not I was ever going to get back to doing the show. And I always had hope I was going to do the show. So I just kind of blithely assumed that someday there would be a 50, but I didn't dare think about when the 50 would be. But here it is. It is episode 50 on Sunday, March 8th at about two in the afternoon. And for those who are paying a lot of attention, you may note that that's the same day as episode 49 was recorded, and you are right, because I'm in a podcast recording frenzy. Uh, well, I'm in the mood, and I have the time available. I have a clean apartment, cleaner than it usually ever is. It is good. It is a sunny day on this beautiful day, so I'm recording. I'm just not going to release them into the wild uh, right away. I'm going to space that out a little bit. I also acknowledge that the recording is happening on the unceded ancestral and territorial uh, lands of the Kakite Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. <sighs> and I welcome you, dear seekers, dear inquisitive people, friends, curious, curiousers, and whoever you may be. I welcome you to this podcast, to listening to the ramblings, insanity, and otherwise inspirational <laughs> of myself, Violet, the Abysmal Witch. I also welcome in the Naturum of the physical and the unseen realms who help us and support us, who guide us, who are companions to us. I welcome them. I welcome in our ancestors, those who are in right relationship with their death, our ancestors of our bone, of our blood, of our bliss. I welcome in the deities who guide us, who inspire us, who uh, <laughs> support us in our work of change to a, a healthier future. And I welcome in death, death who brings an end that we begin again. And I honor death with a final breath of what was and as I speak and as the air leaves my lungs knowing that this could be my very last breath wouldn't that be something if I died recording a podcast how cool would that be but any moment any breath could be the very last and thus all is past from this moment and I begin anew a new step a new journey a new choice a new action a new and in this anew, we come to the topic of today. Today's topic is, drumroll please, Tara. I know that was kind of short. <laughs> Big drumroll, little statement. Tara, T-E-R-R-A, by the way, not T-A-R-A, though I do think there is relation between uh, Tara of the Irish and Tara of the Latin. Um, we I want to speak about Tara. Terra being the planet on which we are on and a lot of our relationship with the planet that we are on, which may touch into our bone ancestors, which will touch into the land acknowledgement that may also touch into the Naturum. So we have all kinds of fun exploration ahead of us. Um, and let us begin. When, where should we begin? Well, first, I suppose a quick definition. And why Terra? And Terra, 
Um, I believe is Latin. <laughs> it strikes me as a Latin word. Did I look that up? No, you know me. I don't look those things up until the last minute. Uh, and I feel that I need to. And I don't need to. Uh, Latin terra for earth. I use it explicitly to denote, not con well, connote, I suppose, as well, but denote the planet and specifically the planet as a living organism. So for many of you, you are aware of the Gaia principle and that um, the planet is a living, essentially, my bastardized understanding and explanation of the Gaia principle. Actually, let's look it up. Uh, the Gaia principle being that the world is alive. And based off of the... Um, off of the Greek goddess Gaia, who one should not um, mess with. She's she's pretty intense. Um, ah, Gaia hypothesis, also known as the Gaia theory or the Gaia principle, proposes that living organisms interact with their inorganic surroundings on Earth to form a synergistic and self-regulating complex system that helps to maintain and perpetuation the continuations for life on the planet which uh, is a very scientific statement. So the Gaia hypothesis, based upon the Greek goddess Gaia, who um, <laughs> is rather titanish in some ways in, in how she is envisioned and expressed, kind of the land of, <laughs> pun not intended, but still almost funny, don't fuck with her. Don't fuck with Gaia, because Gaia Awoken is dangerous. Gaia Awoken is typhoons and... Um, hurricanes and wildfires that destroy everything. So, <clears throat> excuse me, don't fuck with Gaia. And that's how many, especially pagans, view the planet is as Gaia. The Gaia is the planet. So, why don't I embrace that in the same way everybody else does? You know me, got to be a little different. And in some ways, a lot of ways, and a lot of times, I seek out a different word to get us to relate outside of our habits of relating. So if we have a history of using the word Gaia uh, in a particular way, we, we have a lot of connotation. So denotation is what it literally means. Connotation is what it brings to mind. Lazy explanation. There's a lot of connotation around Gaia and for people and what they have come to understand as Gaia and how her principle, um, how the Gaia hypothesis plays in, but also how we how we engage with and view Gaia. And it also <clears throat> takes, quite honestly, I think for me, that putting Gaia, the planet, as a goddess puts her in the realm of the deities. And I think we do uh, a shift. Whether or not it's a disservice, I, I won't say, but it, we do put a shift on our understanding that is not a shift I want to take. Uh, I want to take a different shift. I want to encourage a different perspective. So by using a different word than may typically be used in the circles that I roam with, that I can encourage an uh, evaluation of each person's, your perspective, and how that could potentially be um, expanded into a, a different or a broader view. So Tara... Why Terra for the planet? Well, many a long moon ago, many, many, many moons ago, um, as I was 
in a in a writing phase. Yes, I have enjoyed writing in the past. I've actually written several novels. Uh, never published them because uh, largely I have a fear of engaging with the public. Uh, why do you think I podcast? It's nice and safe behind my little microphone. And also, oh my God, so scary to put yourself out there. In for some reason, the writing is ever so much scarier to put out there. And I felt like it wasn't ready, and it needs editing, and uh, I wrote science fiction and fantasy, and if you talked me into it and you wanted to do some editing, you could probably get a copy of it off of me uh, if you ask, or maybe I should put it on some crazy um, online platform for you guys. Someone shares me a platform for how I can share freely said a crazy book that didn't get all of its editing, I will do so. In the meantime, um, sliding back into what got me started down this road, because this is a long road for me. This started a long time ago. I was toying with the, this um, kind of urban fantasy, in essence, world building, which urban fantasy means that it's fantasy stuff happening in the modern world. And that uh, there are beings from other planets uh, who have sought either refuge or life on our planet and um that they ex like the jinn were from mars there's a short explanation so the jinn um are actually martians living on our planet kind of fun right and the, the, there's this whole process in my head i do love to world build uh as to who is from where and what and how they interact and what is the goals and all of that kind of stuff never wrote anything beyond a short story in this particular uh worldview so <laughs> sorry guys can't help you with that what it did also bring to me is that at the same time, magically working with the planets, the planets themselves, if you're working with them as more than just, um, I was going to say astronomy bait, and then I was like, oh, is that offensive somehow? I don't mean it offensively, but uh, working with uh, astrology, I should say, astrology bait, maybe. But working astrology, there's that idea that the planets influence us by their relationship to us when we are born. But it still treats the idea of planets as inanimate, as it were, objects. Like they, they have an energy force that impacts us of a particular way, a particular nature. You know, Venus for love, Mars for um, power, all that kind of stuffs. What it doesn't get to, and what I found in my personal experience, is that the planets have a living essence. So just as um, trees have a living essence and animals have a living essence, that um, and, and that even ecosystems, right? Like a, a marsh, a particular marsh will have a, a living essence that you can feel when you're in it. A forest has a living essence. A mountain has a living essence. Like the, the, we are ourselves a living essence, part of our ecosystem living essence, and our ecosystems are part of the living essence of the planet. When I was working with uh, the planets, I was finding this entity-ness that doesn't think like we think. This is a habit we fall into. We are so human in this. We, we think and act and rationalize and engage with the world in a particular way. And we see similar enough um, engagement with the world in other mammals and even other um, moving animals that we tend to assume that 
everything is like us and we are just the pinnacle of expression of this form of thinking and feeling and engagement with the world. Rather than going, we have a particular way of doing that and that other beings, even other animals, have a different way of engaging. What that allows for to take that shift is that other animals, other creatures, other beings, other entities can be just as wise or intelligent as we are. It's just in a different way. This is where when you're dealing with elementals and or you're dealing with the Fae, this whole idea of be very careful of what you say, what you ask for, um, because they do not engage the way that we as humans do and you're going to screw yourself over, has very much to do with this realization that different entities feel and perceive differently than we do. Different isn't bad. Different is good. Say it with me, people. Different is good. Difference just different. Different is okay. Embrace the different. Allow for the different. Allow something to be different. You don't have to embrace it in, uh, and capture it inside of yourself. This is not a Borg situation. We're not resist the urge to assimilate everything that is outside of you into you. Instead, allow what is outside of you to be outside of you and to be different from you and to be uh, a gift to you because of that externalness and of that difference. So, oh, lost my little train of thought there. It was a good train though. The working with the planets, therefore, is this they're not thinking in the way that we think. And I, I find that when people apply Gaia, they put the emotions and the thoughts of uh, a human aspect onto the planet. You know, the planet's getting even with us. The planet is angry or hurt by what we are doing. And uh, those emotional words, I question the appropriateness um, more the, or the applicableness of, to, to the reality, to the reality of the planet that is Terra. So I strongly invite you to join me in feeling into this use of Terra as the, the name of this entity of the planet of which we are a part, rather than Gaia. Uh, our gods do have a different perspective as well than we do, but because they almost seem to be a way for the universal oneness to formulate aspects of itself into uh, human, um, human digestible chunks, that the gods are like that human digestible chunk of the allness that we can comprehend. So they're, they're like a facilitating force between the universe and us because there's such a divide, such a gap, such a distance between us. Whereas Terra is like us, Terra is present and here and now is a planet like the other planets that have, and it is fun, you should give it a try, reaching out to the other planets just to feel them and the energy and those energies will relate to the astrological associations. Absolutely, there's a reason that they're there. And then allow them to be entities. And what, what is an, a planet entity experience? What does it perceive? It's a very hmm, expansive uh, exploration to take. So with Terra, 
to feel the planet as, as a whole planet. And the planet is all of itself from its, um, what is it, a solid nickel core? Or the liquid nickel core. There's the teeny little middle core, and then there's the molten core around it, and then there's all of the layers, and then the mantle, and then that thin little bit of topsoil that we live on, and then the air uh, and the atmosphere that surrounds it, and um, past that, then it's into space. So, in a, like the human body, there's the physical component of the edges of us, like our skin. And then there's all of the bones and tissues that make up the insides. And then there's our energetic aura. Um, yeah, all of that, same on the planet, but a planetary scale. And that all of the different ecosystems are part of said planetary scale. <clears throat> and that they interweave and interlock. That from my perspective and my understanding and working with the planet in this way, that what we are doing to the planet, we are doing to ourselves. We are doing to the other, uh, to our fellow Terrans, all of the creatures. Um, we are definitely in control. We are the, the power source that is absolutely changing the nature and the landscape of the planet. <clears throat> is the planet angry about this? I tend to not think so. I think the planet just goes, huh, well, that's that then, and shifts and responds the planet is not human emotive. It's not human perspective. It is an adaptive force that I think finds a pleasure and a joy in creating pleasing patterns and exploring diverse change. And if anything, there may be curiosity and there may be disappointment. And then there's this like shrugging quality of, well, if you're going to burn all these fossil fuels and, you know, increase the temperature, then I'm going to have to melt things. We're going to put more water in the atmosphere. We're going to have bigger storms. Okay. If that's the way you want to go. Okay. You know, is it great? No. Is it where the planet was headed without us? No. But it's not... The planet doesn't weep in the way that we like to ascribe it to. That's our weeping. When we weep for the planet, we are grieving for the loss of the beauty and the joy that we saw created. For We weep for all of the living creatures that we're taking down with us. We weep for our own fault that we play in it. We can weep for the planet and for what we've lost. The planet, sadly, the planet doesn't weep for us. The planet just accepts us entirely as who and what we are and goes, hmm, guess this is what we're going to do in response then. It, it, it has a completely different quality to it. And so I, I like to work with and say the word plan Terra for the planet to get into this different thought and this different mode so that we're not as <clears throat> driven or, or drawn into viewing the planet as human. Planet is not human. Planet's not human. Planet's not human. Say it with me, people. Planet's not human. Planet's planet. Entirely different, um, entirely different perspective. So 
as I kind of touched on in the end there, there's a whole lot of difficulty with our relationship with the planet. There, I could go into um, my personal theories on what happened when we started reaching towards the... Um, the universal plane, that that highest, most plane, that engagement with deity or God that goes beyond deity, that oneness to engage with the dreamer, to connect with the ultimate spirit. And when we did that, that we disconnected from our connection with the planet, um, thus speaking largely of the whole Christian era, but also um, the Judeo-Christian faith tended to take that direction and wanting to reach into the up. What I have learned is we need, we need to go down to go up. We need to root into the earth to connect into the ultimate spirit. So in the previous times, before that perspective of reaching up, we very much lived in the down. We lived in the shamanic world, the deeply connected to the planet, uh, yet not so connected to spirit. We were deep in our souls, not our spirit. Then we were reaching all for our spirit, fuck the soul. Now we need to bring them into balance. That is the era that will either be ushered in or, um, well, humanity was a great try, reset and start all over and start over different because once you crumple a piece of paper, you can't flatten it out and make it pretty and perfectly papered and new again. That's just not the way it works. <clears throat> and that's okay. We are leaving a mark, good, bad, or indifferent. We are leaving a mark. So... Um, where was I headed with this? Where was I headed? Tara and our relationship is, is a bit of a fraught one at the moment. We got very separated, um, and we're still reeling from that separation. We're still seeking to find how to reconnect and how do we reconnect knowing that the way that we are living today is detrimental so when I drive my car to work, and I still drive my car to work because uh, where I live and where I work are far enough apart in distance that um, I would have to sacrifice a, a lot of time and a lot of extracurricular activities in order to live where I live and work where I work and take transit, which would be a, a better climate-friendly version. So we are constantly making trade-offs in our choices between sustainable living and practical living. And it's a deep struggle. And the less money we have, the harder it is to balance those because we don't have an easy option in choices. And as human beings, we are not fond of, as a general rule, limiting ourselves. We do not want to live the monk life and be without our podcasts and our cell phones and our Netflix and, 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 and all the comforts that um, my parents who were born in the 30s and 40s didn't have, right? And that my grandparents born turn of the century definitively did not have. We have acquired a lot of comfort and man, humans are not good at giving up comfort. So we're here and we know that living in this comfort causes problems and how, how do we deal with this and reconcile this? I'm going to table that question for a moment and shift over into uh, the second topic I want to get into, which will bring us back around to that question. And that is talking about sudden left turn. I know uh, the land acknowledgement that I'm now doing at the start of the podcast 
I recommend that you do your own research on all the stuff I'm about to talk about because I am not a subject matter expert on this at all. I'm sharing what little experience and insight I have on it uh, and encourage you to go get better insight and information from uh, sources more deeply and closely related to the topics. Okay, so the land acknowledgement. Uh, this is something that has been happening more in my, um, what, my physical world, <laughs> my reality world, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, in my day-to-day -day living world, that uh, I live in British Columbia, Canada, and in Canada generally, in British Columbia, and in the work environment that I have, we have taken to doing the land acknowledgement, which is acknowledging where we are standing. And the purpose of this is, of course, far more than just acknowledging where we stand, though. There's great power. Oh, I really hope I don't derail myself with this a little aside. There's really, we cannot, cannot move and change and go to where we want to go if we do not acknowledge where we are. We absolutely must acknowledge where we are. This is critical, absolutely critical for living. If you have um, ever watched Gilmore Girls, I really enjoy Gilmore Girls. Um, there's this one episode where Luke, sorry, Lorelai, um, main character, is talking with, um, oh my God, her, the father of her child, okay who uh, she married briefly later on, but at this point wasn't married. They were potentially dating. His name is Christopher. Um, they've been dating. They were finally, you know, coming together as a family. Her teenage daughter was like, great, I may actually have both parents. And then he meets, um, he had been dating this woman. And in this kind of critical moment at a wedding, uh, comes up and tells Lorelai that um, this this now what was an ex-girlfriend is pregnant and much chaos ensues and later on he uh, because she won't talk to him after that because he, he's like she's going through the baby he's going to be with her with the baby um so she disengages from the relationship he hunts her down at her mother's house to have you know a confrontation and discussion about it and just her response of are you still with sherry Yes. Are you still having a baby? Yes. Well, then, Christopher, we are where we are. And it's just the way that she says it, this complete, yes, she's angry and there's all of these other emotions and frustration and disappointment and everything tied into it, but the reality is inescapable. We are where we are. You're making the choices that you're going to make. You're not changing them. So therefore, we are where we are. And I was a bit of a rambling aside, and maybe I just wanted to talk about Gilmore Girls, but the power and importance of it doesn't matter how much you want to change things if you're not going to change the behaviors behind things. It just doesn't matter. I may want a world in which um, there, there is no gas pollution. I'm still contributing to it. I am where I am. I'm doing what I'm doing. And as long as I continue to do that, I am part of that problem. And if I <clears throat> try to deny that I'm a part of that problem, then I am not looking clearly at reality. I'm not acknowledging where I am. If I don't acknowledge where I am, how do I make 
real choices to go forward. So I acknowledge where I fail so that I can then make real other choices where I am capable of making them rather than falling prey to my own guilt and my own self-frustration and the, oh my God, if I can't do it in this one spot, then I can't do it in any other spot. And again, I fall into this kind of martyr aspect I was talking about in the last um, podcast, last episode, this idea that if you can't, just because one part has failed, that all has failed. No, <laughs> no, I need to own that I'm not able to do in that one part or I'm not willing, willing at this point to do that one part. So what else am I willing to do? But I can't get there if I'm not willing to acknowledge where I'm not willing to go because then I'm lying and I'm not in my most authentic self. I'm not in my truest self. True self is hard to be in because it means accepting your foibles and your faults just as much as your perfections and your glory. That's just the way, the way the cookie crumbles, the ball bounces and the kite flies. It's just the way it is. We are where we are. Now, the land acknowledgement goes, okay, we're going to acknowledge where we are. I need to acknowledge that I am on land that I was not developed on. So here's our little slide into the bone ancestors. I meant have been introducing a little bit more about the bone, blood, and bliss ancestors today. I'm going to talk about our bone ancestors, which are, which is the land that shaped us and the ancestors of our line that were shaped by the land. It is about that deep relationship. So when we talk about race, what we're really ultimately, I think, talking about is the origin source of our adapted DNA to the planet. African Americans are from the African continent. That's why their skin is so dark because of all of the sun. Their DNA adapted to life in that place. I am European. My DNA was shaped by living generation, 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 so many, 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 many generations upon a land that selected the genes that made me fairer skinned, uh, darker haired and eyed for whatever reason, um, height, body type, all of those things and far beyond it into the, the depths of the DNA and what kind of worked and didn't work was shaped by generation after generation growing and evolving on my, my ancestors, my bone ancestors, part of the planet in an ecosystem where I adapted to the ecosystem that I was, I was a part of, I being the generational long line of me, my bone ancestors. My bone ancestry is European. It is, I think, British and uh, Dutch primarily, that all of us have our bone ancestry. Uh, and for those who are quote-unquote mixed race, the bone ancestry has different path lines. So you might have bone ancestry that goes to Europe and bone ancestry that goes to Asia and, and bone ancestry that goes to um, Eastern Europe and bone ancestry that goes to South America and bone ancestry that goes to, to what is now called Canada, to North America. Uh, that we all have bone ancestry. We have to. We have DNA that evolved. We did not suddenly appear on the planet. 
You know, if you had um, suddenly a, <laughs> well, I suppose if you had a brand new, no, no, we are what we are. We are where we are. We are evolved on this planet. We are a, a synergistic part of it. We are part of Terra and we developed in conjunction with a part of Terra as we were developing as human beings. We are also all part of one race. We are all just human when it comes right down to it with adaptations to our own ecological niche, but still all just human. So bone ancestors is the land and the symbiotic relationship and evolution of our DNA in relation to the land that we were evolved on. And as such, we have a place of origin for our DNA. We have a place of origin for our bones. And then, because we're human, and humans like things, and pretty shiny things, and more things, and more power, and more money, because ultimately we want to feel safe, and we want to have fun, uh, and we want to enjoy things, and we want to have more. We are a very greedy species. Good gods, are we greedy. I'm greedy too, don't get me wrong, want all the things, uh, that we then have, or at least um, sometimes I wonder if that uh, reaching for spirit without being grounded into our souls actually increases the propensity towards greed. Because when you look at the people who stayed more shamanic in their practices, they didn't tend to go out uh, as much with the conquering everything in sight and taking it over and owning it all. There were still, it's not like we aren't war, we are very warrior people and we are definitely violently inclined, um, no matter where you are. However, uh, there was less of that, it seems to me, not being a historian, not having that deep research background. This is just my um, armchair theories, if you will. When anything that comes to history, it's always armchair theory with me. So, Europeans went everywhere. Good God, look at the British Empire. Uh, taking over all the things. Want all the things, take over all the things. And we end up in Canada, where I live, where a couple hundred years ago, um, Canada was formed. Oh my God, a flicker just arrived on the tree outside my window. So pretty. Oh, you're beautiful. Look at your beautiful red cheeks and your pretty black spots on your pretty orange body. And look at that nice little crescent black moon you got going on. You are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And you can hear me saying it, can't you? Beautiful thing. And there she goes. Or he goes. Sorry. <laughs> when nature comes in that pretty, I just have to acknowledge it. Oddly enough, on that same branch farther down, uh, I think it was just before New Year's? I don't know. Some point in the last three months, I actually ended up with a hawk right out there, like eight feet away from me, eating, uh, betting it was a crow. Um, yeah, nature was literally right outside my window uh, in its life-death cycle. Whew. So you have people. You have my people who started out in Europe and went, hmm, going to this new land where there's all this space and taking it over and bringing civilization. My goodness, we have such very, uh, our way is the right way centric viewpoints. Uh, and this is something that as somebody who has that viewpoint in my history uh, and North American culture holds it very strongly, means that this is something for me and us to overcome. 
uh, on a regular basis and to, to change it, to change our narrative, to change our perspective so that we can make different choices. Anyhow, we did this, we came over, we took over, we killed off the native population. Uh, we did truly horrendous things. Oh yeah. Trigger warning should say potentially, um, actually trigger warning for those who have suffered and anger warning, trigger warning for those who have been, uh, advantaged by it and do not feel comfortable. This is not a comfortable conversation. I should warn, not a comfortable conversation. Depending on where you sit in relationship with yourself and your authentic self, remember you have to hold in, bring in all of that, all of yourself to be authentic, not just the parts that you prefer. This is not easy. This is not fun. And okay, so we came over, we took over, we did horrible things. The residential schools, um, I have, uh, I... Um, have been to the Residential School History and Dialogue Center, and it is not an easy topic to engage with, but worth it. Um, for those who are going to argue that really we didn't do bad things, or you knew somebody who worked in the residential schools and they didn't do bad things, okay, I am saying right now that we, as a country, and a society need to own what we as a country and society did. Not that you did it, or I did it, or that your uncle did it. Not necessarily. Maybe they did. Don't know. This is not a personal attack. This is about honoring and acknowledging the reality of what happened. And the reality is that uh, Indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families to be educated in the North American style of um, training to so basically uh, not acclimatize. I mean, it is acclimatizing, but you're assimilating. We are Borg and we will assimilate you. Well, trust me, the British Empire was the Borg and wanted to assimilate, so they stole the children away, uh, often underfed, um, malnutrition, use children in medical experiments, no lie, we use them in medical experiments. We stripped indigenous people of their spiritual practices, said they can't. That has only changed, um, I don't remember the year, but it, it well might have been like 1990 when potlatches were allowed. Like It's not that far ago. When you start looking in the time frames, the rights of indigenous people are only in my lifetime definitively in my lifetime only have they only started now to go back and allow indigenous people to practice. So the people of this land, the people whose ancestors, their bone ancestors are where I live right now. And for anyone who is living in North America and their bone ancestry is not of this land, you're in the same boat as me. That, our, that we are on a land that our bone ancestry is not from and that we took, we took from other people. And uh, it's kind of like imagining a playground where we saw a sandbox. We had a sandbox. 
and we liked our sandbox, but we kind of filled up our sandbox and we'd argued our way into who got which part of the sandbox. And there was a whole lot of us, whole lot of people in our sandbox. Um, and we wanted to expand out of our sandbox so that we could have more sandbox area to play in. And we saw another sandbox that was nearby and we managed to get over there. And when we got there, there was only a few people, only a few kids playing. And we went, mm, get out of my way. And we shoved them off into the corners and we, we, you know, allowed them to stay in the sandbox, but they only got this little section over here, you know, the, the really awkward part that had all the extra grit and dirt or rocks in it and wasn't as nice to play in. We shoved the kids into there and then we took over and had a great time playing with. And then we got older and realized that we, you know, are getting better at relationships and, and now we've got these just incredibly disadvantaged, uh, you know, also growing up children who suffered because we picked on, we're the bullies. When it comes down to, we're the bullies, people. We got to own that shit. You can't stop being a bully if we won't own it. Ownership is huge. And right now, if you hate me, well, I hear you. I feel you. And we are where we are, people. We are where we are. I am living in a land that did not shape my DNA. Therefore, I am a settler. And because of the way in which the settlement happened, I live an advantaged life compared to the indigenous people who are born are of this land, who are the descendants of their bones. That's just fact. That is, that is simple fact. It is easier for me to get a job. I live a higher standard of life. My uh, religion that still gets a lot of problems around it is actually still the religion of my bone ancestry. Witchcraft is, you know, in a lot of ways, European shamanism combined with um, uh, European into Egyptian, so uh, Eastern mysticism in essence. And here we be. Uh, I, I have the privilege of still being able to do that. I would, the witchcraft laws, um, were limited and not enforced versus the laws against indigenous practice were many and were strictly enforced. So even in the discrimination on our religious practices, it was not the same as the people here. So man, I think last year, the year before. I was visiting with uh, some friends and we were talking about uh, Loki and how um, one person had been very comfortable with Loki for a long time and one person um, had eventually kind of come around to the power and importance of Loki. So, nahum, nahum, how did Loki end up in this conversation? Wait for it. Loki being a god of transformation and change and disruption uh, is often not favorably viewed by modern society because we don't like change and disruption. Um, that's, that's what we are. That's what we're like. And that I myself was not good with Loki and he courted me for like a decade and I finally ended up, you know, working with him. But boy, it was a long road. But he and I are good now. So we were having this conversation of the long road uh, it was for two of us to reach a level of acceptance and engagement um, with Loki and acknowledging 
the importance of the role that he plays. It's like acknowledging the importance of the role of all of the little critters, like maggots. Maggots play an important role in the ecosystem. Are they pleasant? No. Are they creepy? Yes. Are they an important part? Yes. Yes, they are. So not just the pretty shiny things are important parts of our life cycles. Everything that takes part of the life cycle is important to the life cycle and should be honored for the part that it plays in that. That's what a healthy, balanced spiritual view is in my world. So Loki is a part of that and has great gifts for everyone if we can just get past our issues. So we're talking about how there's still issues in the community and the progression that it takes and um, how there's this difficulty in accepting even when we had a previous, like a different view before that, oh, I didn't like him before, I didn't accept or allow him to be who, you know, the importance of what he was and that now I do. Um, and when the, the longstanding one called me out on that and the other guy out on that, and so we're having this great conversation about it and how hard it is for uh, other people to accept the importance and necessity and the very natural role of Loki and the struggle that they have with it. But, you know, now that we've understood it, it's so much better for us and we can talk from this viewpoint. And then somehow we went almost straight over to talking about this idea of um, being settlers here and the other two went into a, good God, we conquered them. They just need to get over it. And uh, they shut down, shut down the conversation that there was no room for this other view. And it became a very defensive conversation, uh, which is exactly how the people who are not good with Loki get very defensive <laughs> about it. The parallels in that moment were deeply striking to me. Also not something I could talk about in the moment because I knew that conversationally where they were at, uh, it was not going to go anywhere. I, I think I, I, you know, tapped my toe into that water a few times and went, nope, that's just not going to happen right now. Because uh, they weren't ready. They weren't ready to have that conversation. And maybe some of you have already turned this off because you're not ready to hear somebody talking about it. It's not comfortable and it's not easy. Uh, my people conquered this land. Yep, it did. And <sighs> it helped transform the world and it's brought us to the modern era such the way that it is now. And there are great things about this era. Uh, there are many, many, many aspects of my life that I adore. And it also has brought us to a place where we are not connected to the planet, which is something that the local population was really good at and still is good at and way the fuck better at it than uh, many of us settlers are. And I wonder sometimes if that's also because we, we left the land of our bones and we came to a different land and how much did we resolve that change of relationship? things to ponder, but not for discussion right now. Just give it to you to ponder. So we have, when I do the land acknowledgement, there is the, I am acknowledging, truly acknowledging where I am and who I am in relation to that. So the, the broader land acknowledgement is not just that I'm on the Kakite, the, the land of the Kakite nation, uh, the Coast Salish peoples, which is unceded, 
they didn't give it to us. They didn't. <laughs> Much of the land in Canada is unceded territory. It was taken. It wasn't given. Uh, it's ancestral. It's the land of their bones. And it's traditional. This is where their traditions arise from. A lot of the pagan traditions arise from European lands, not from North American lands. Though at the same time, we've been incorporating a little bit more and a little bit more as time goes by. Um, though we tend to appropriate it as if everything spiritual in the world belongs to us. We can be very greedy, greedy, greedy. I saw it. I like it. I want it. I take it. Uh, as opposed to, I see it. I appreciate it. I learn more about it. And with uh, permission, I incorporate it. Different ways to view things. Shifting perspective, so much power in it. So the land acknowledgement acknowledges that, and it's also acknowledged uh, when taking a little deeper, I am a second and third generation settler on this land of European descent. That takes it not just the acknowledging the land that I am on, acknowledging my relationship with Terra, in the broad sense, where does the ancestry of my bones and where my, my ancestry, my, my hmm, original ancestry of bones and my current ancestry of bones, if you will, where do I live now? These things matter. This is the, the, this nation, uh, the Kakite nation land sustains me. It is where I hug my trees and my feet walk the earth and, the rains that fall on me and the animals that uh, share space and communicate and laugh at me and all of that is in this land. So a true land acknowledgement is again acknowledging where we are at and in order we cannot move forward until we acknowledge that we cannot move forward for those of us who are settlers until we acknowledge we are settlers. There is no magical path towards reconciliation. And if you don't know and you live in Canada in particular, but also if you live elsewhere, uh, there is a truth and reconciliation process that happened several years ago where the, the truth of what happened with Indigenous people or, and to Indigenous people by us settlers was investigated and spoken. And there's a document with a whole host of recommendations on what we can do towards reconciliation. It is not a simple path. It's not a give everything back, leave, and it's done. We're past that. We're here. We're, we're sort of integrated and sort of not. We are kids in a sandbox realizing that we've made the kids we shoved into that horrible corner feel really, really crappy. And we took away their toys. We took away the good area of the sand to play in. We don't let them take part in a lot of things. And when we do let them take part, it's only in specific ways. And they can't necessarily keep up because they didn't get all of the socialization and training that happened with all the other kids as they were playing together. So they are disadvantaged continuously over and over and systemically we can't it's kind of like overcoming the the climate emergency we as individuals there are things that we can do and as individuals we cannot solve it all yes and if we recognize where we are at we are a good step forward so that's my rather rambly um, invitation to you to think about where are you in your relationship 
with the land that you are on. Are you a settler? Are you indigenous? What is the, the bone ancestry of you? What is your ancestral line into the land? What connections do you have there? What have you, have you acknowledged the land that you're on? So in order for me to be in right relationship with this land, not just the people on the land, but the land itself, then I have to come into some sort of understanding and relationship, even if it's just inside of me, with the people who were here. Because this land developed a relationship with a set of people over millennia. It evolved them to be perfectly suited to living here. This land did not evolve me. It is very similar to the land, I think, that evolved me, but it did not evolve me. And in order for me to be in right relationship with this land, I need to acknowledge that and to come into some form of understanding with the people that it, it did evolve. This, again, is it ties back into Terra and how we relate to Terra and the ecosystems that we are part of and how we relate matters. So I invite you. I invite you to understand where you are. It's scary. It's a big ask. It's a huge ask. And to be authentic in your response, to be real, real and connected in your response, to be respectful and ex experiential and authentic and loving to yourself and to the other side, to not throw yourself into I am horrible and the martyr, not to, no, no, I am perfectly right and they are all wrong and the other side, but to find that middle ground to go, yeah, my people did shitty things and it wasn't fair. And I am advantaged by it. So how, how do I, from this point forward, with all of that in mind, how do I want to live going forward? Not in denial and not in abject um, self-flagellation, but in honest appraisal so that I can be an effective force of change going forward. So land acknowledgement. And I can't quite remember the, the question that I posed right before we got into stage two of this conversation, but I'm sure that somewhere through all of that, it tied back to whatever that question was. Because now I'm going to move on to stage three of our conversation in the, well, I'm aiming these days to be within around an hour. So in the next five, 10 minutes most, I'm going to touch into the third aspect that I wanted to talk in. So if we're talking about Terra and land acknowledgement, where we are at and the, the living planet that we are on, I also talk about Naturum. So this is another place where I am pulling in a, another word to challenge our view and our perspective a little bit, but also because I was getting a little frustrated <laughs> with the words. So uh, I tend to say deity versus God and goddess because um, God and goddess is long and I'm lazy. And there are a few deities that are not so genderfied. So deity allows that... It allows the entire spectrum of deity, God, goddess, and everything in between to be acknowledged in one short little word. And ancestors, I've actually added bone, blood, and bliss, but still there's ancestors. It's a nice single word that encapsulates all those who have gone before. Great. Now, 
nature spirits is what is typically, and I've used for a long time, to talk about that third kindred coming from a, a bit of the druidic training I had. They talked about the three kindreds, that you had your ancestors, the deities, and the nature spirits. And nature spirits are are the the plants, the animals, the minerals, yes, and the elementals and the fae and the living essences. It's all of the living essences that are alive in this four or five interchange. So the middle of the planes um, where life exists, the the needle that life threads itself through, everything that is in existence, seen and unseen, arguably is a nature spirit because they are natural. Even our, our technology, our is technology. The spirit of the internet, is it a nature spirit? Not if we want to go really, oh, it's nature, natural, it must be natural. And yet, and yet, it is a living being that lives in this current existence. So I would embrace it as one of these nature spirits and living entities. However, um, the nature spirits word, I'm just, oh having a muscle cramp moment, breathing. Oh, have you ever cramped a hamstring muscle? It's not good. Oh, lengthen and breathe. So, little endorphin rush for the, for the win. Okay. So nature spirits, naturum. I use the phrase one, it's one syllable less. Two, it is one singular worm, word. Three, it again takes a little bit of brain shift from Nature spirits is very English, and if you are a rather fluent uh, English speaker, it denotes something very particular. Uh, Naturum opens it up to a little more connotation, and it creates space. It creates space to allow more in. Some people, they talk about devas. Devas uh, is more of a, I think, Norse uh, word that still kind of goes into nature spirits, but can be a little bit more specific. If you're talking about the fae, you're definitively getting more specific. If you're talking about elementals, you are getting more specific. And they all, um, it's like I can talk about ancestors of bone, of blood and bliss. Those are specific, but they are all ancestors. So to have one word that incorporates and encapsulates an entire range and realm of entities... Uh, <laughs> is, well, convenient. So I use Naturum. And whether or not you use it is perfectly, well, of course, your choice. It's just an invitation I make. Again, it can be f- interesting to play with your own perceptions and expectations of when you use particular words, how do you resonate with them? What kind of impact do they have on you? And um, to move, to try new things, to move a little into a different viewpoint. And I lost my train of thought. So with that, I'm going to go, Hey, look, it's almost exactly one hour for this recording. And I am going to stop there and just wish you all the very best of today, of this time and this place that you are unfolded in and into life. May it bring the blessings of the deep and may it bring the blessings of the wild to you from Terra, from the Naturum, from our ancestors, our deities, and from death itself. Best blessings to you. Blessed be.